News Now. My name is Merrick Counts, and welcome to today's news. So we'll start off with security. As always, a just quick update. I am making a few slight changes. I am not going to go through all the categories, but I'm going to bring you the news that I think is most important or most interesting, at least to me and my channel. So this will help me streamline it a little bit, make me not feel under quite so much pressure to bring everything and uh, also let me spend some time focusing on some of the things that I actually think are the most interesting news um, and not just covering everything. So with that, security is very important. So let's go over the security topics this week. So the Department of Homeland Security, if you're not from America, this is um, a a division of the United States government um, issued a emergency directive 2004, and this requires all federal agencies to comply immediately. Um, and there was a security risk that was considered an unacceptable risk with Windows Server. Um, so Windows Server actually has a patch back in August uh, that fixes the uh, the zero login exploit. So the zero login is is an exploit that uh, was discovered in August, and Windows Server patched it. Um, and I guess not everybody uh, took the patch. And so if you haven't, um, zero login is considered such a high threat um, that it is now very illegal in the United States if you're a federal agency to be running a server that doesn't have the patch. Um, so take that in heedance. If you run a Windows server, um, you should make sure you have that patch. Um, and the patch has been available since August. So um, the source code for the Cerberus banking Trojan was released. Um, so that being said, I would kind of expect a spike in the attacks for the Cerberus uh, banking tro Trojan. Um, it, it was released after a failed auction um, as somebody was trying to sell it. And uh, yeah, anyways make sure you're patched and you understand the the risks with with that uh kubernetes released a cve 2020 um 8551 and 8552 um these were both dos attacks um one was on the api server and one was on the kubelet uh, now these uh, these had to be authorized requests. So um, basically, ninety percent of the ninety five percent of the time when you see a Kubernetes control plane attack, it's it's already mitigated by best practices. Uh, best practices are to secure these things with other means. Uh, you'll hear me say it, and I'll always say it, layers of security. These layers of security are going to protect you because not only would it, does it have to be an authorized attack, uh, th there's other things like role-based access that can help prevent these as well. Um, so um, in earlier versions like 114, you could do it through an unauthorized um, access, but 114 isn't supported. And if you're on it, uh, you need to make sure that you're taking the precautions um, 
to to secure these things. Another easy way, especially the kubelet, if you can't get a patched version, is make sure that people don't have access to the kubelet API. Very few people should be calling that. Mostly nobody. Um, so this is where your firewalls and things come in place. Those shouldn't be exposed to the internet. Um, really, if you can help it, your Kubernetes API server shouldn't be exposed to the internet. Um, I actually find very few and little reasons for that being exposed to the internet, um, except convenience. But security is not a convenience. It's a requirement. Anyways, uh, the links for those are down below. So if you want to check those uh, CDEs are out, the fixes for them for 117 is in 117.2, 116.7, and 115.10. So if you have those, they have been patched. All right, let's jump over into open source. The very first one um, is a crossover of security and open source news, um, Microsoft released a new open source project called OneFuzz, um, which is a pretty cool project. OneFuzz enables continuous developer-driven fuzzing to proactively harden software prior to release with a single command, which can be baked into CI/CD. Developers can launch fuzz jobs from new virtual machines to thousands of cores. That's directly off their website. Um, I'm not so elegant with words. Um, anyways, uh, it, it makes some pretty cool claims enough that you should probably should go check it out. It looks like a valuable tool for a CI/CD pipeline um, from compositable fuzzing workflows to pro programmatic triaging of issues and result deduping. Um, and the very best thing that I found, um, which this is something Microsoft seems to be doing more and more often, it works on your OS. Now, <laughs> I say that they didn't make Mac OS a claim about Mac OS, but Linux and Windows, it does. And it's written in pretty much pure Python. So I kind of assume it would work on that other OS that I failed to mention. Um, but important part for me is it runs on Linux. So it's a very much, it's very important and awesome that they provide this. Um, and it's something you might want to look into putting into your CI/CD. Um, if you're not familiar with what fuzz testing is, um, we can do it. I'll follow up with a video on it just explaining at a very high level. Um, it's a technique that you can use to test and harden your applications. All right, um, Microsoft is at it again with more open source stuff. Who knew that they would be stealing the show of this segment? Microsoft submitted a set of RFCs to the Linux kernel. Now, RFCs, if you're not familiar, are re requests for comment. It's kind of an open source way of saying, hey, I think we should do this. Um, let me hear the community's greater goal. Now, not all projects call them RFCs. Uh, Kubernetes, for example, calls them KEPs. Kubernetes enhancement proposals, but they're effectively the same thing. And they the proposal either gets accepted or rejected or updated and then accepted or rejected, one or the Anyways, so Microsoft released some RFCs to basically, quoting, create a complete 
virtualization stack with Linux and Microsoft Hypervisor. When I say Microsoft Hypervisor, I mean Hyper-V. Now, Hyper-V's architecture is a lot more similar to a Zen style architecture than it is to KVM or VMware's ESXi. So if you're familiar with uh, Zen, um, Hyper-V is more like that, less like KVM. Um, and so basically what this does is it brings in a Hyper-V architecture or, or would if this gets accepted. And there wasn't a ton of code, but there was some example code. But what it would do is it would uh, empower Hyper-V architecture um, into Linux so that you could run one stack. I, I assume that this has to do with their cloud. I think a lot of their stuff is to do with their cloud, um, but it's kind of interesting um, to see where they're moving with Hyper-V, what they'd like to do with it, and what they'd like to do to, with the community. I've already stated that I find how Windows runs. I actually really like when, how Windows runs compared to somehow Linux runs because uh, Windows runs Hyper-V, then the Windows kernel, and then the Windows user space. So uh, the, the virtualization stack is the only thing that has to talk to the hardware. And that's kind of what they introduced here. And I actually really like that way because now uh, Hyper-V abstracts out the hardware. The, the kernel and the OS don't ever have to have hardware implementation in theory. Um, only that virtualization stack does. Um, and now your OS can be more portable without worrying about the underlying uh, uh, device. So I, I really think this is an interesting thing, especially if they're willing to put in the work to support it in Linux and to provide it for Linux um, and possibly a way to bring greater support in the future. Let's move on to something else that's also Microsoft owned. Um, so GitHub CLI 1.0 is out now. Now you're probably sitting there wondering and you're like, I use Git all the time to interface with GitHub. Why do I need another CLI to it? Well, the GitHub CLI brings a lot of stuff. You can run your entire GitHub workflow from the terminal from issues through releases. Uh, you can literally script just about anything you wanna do. I'm probably going to try to do that at some point because I like wasting my time playing around learning new APIs. Um, but it allows you to do anything you want, even creating a re repository if you wanted to, um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, anyways, I haven't tried that, but I'm pretty sure it does. Um, so anyways, um, that's something really cool and you should check out, especially if you're doing a lot of issues. Uh, that's one of the things I'm most excited about is to use it to managing issues um, and maybe possibly writing. One of the things that I would love to see here is uh, maybe like building a feed of issues that uh, I have going on. If I don't have the website opened, I might be able to have a terminal with a feed of some sort. Some interesting ideas. All right, um, let's move on to the last thing is Hacktoberfest is almost here. It's not really news yet because it's not here yet, but I am saying it now to get you all ready for it. You need four commits to open source projects. Let's make them legitimate real commits, guys. No, no gaming the system. The system here is for a couple things. What you should do in Hacktoberfest is contribute to open source, but not only that, 
learn something. So at the end of October, I'm going to be making a video of the things I contributed to in October and what I learned from it. That's the biggest thing. Everything that you do in life, you should learn something from it. And so this is what I'm challenging you this Hacktoberfest. Write down what you learned, whether in a blog post or share it on the video that I make, what you learned in a Hacktoberfest and uh, what you contributed to. So be looking for that video and make sure to leave your comment on it with what you did and what you learned. All right, let's move on to some more Kubernetes specific open source topics. Um, the Man, that was so badly worded. Uh, <laughs> I need to go look up the link. <laughs> so the CNCF end user technology radar is a guide for evaluating cloud technologies and they release their latest results. Link, of course, is below. And with this, um, they, they did a lot of data on things, uh, how people are using them, whether they're in the adopt, trial, or accept, ac assess, stages um, from everything from Prometheus to um, OpenTelemetry and CloudWatch. So there is a ton of information on what people are doing, what stage they're in using that technology. And just in case you guys want to know, Prometheus and Grafana are way at the top, even though more people actually are using Prometheus than they are Grafana, which I would have assumed that they would have been closer. I mean, who uses Prometheus and not Grafana? I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess maybe you have a reason to use Prometheus as a time series database and don't want Grafana dashboards for anything. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Anyways, so link below, check it out if you want to. It is a great, I always, it's a quarterly report. I always love seeing it, love seeing where the, the ecosystem is going, what people are doing with it, and really what people are using is kind of indicative of what they're interested in. So this C, uh, moving on in this, um, the CNCF Technical Oversight Committee accepted CubeEdge as a fully-fledged incubation project. If you remember correctly, back in March of 2019, seems like forever ago, they accepted it as a sandbox project. Um, what is CubeEdge? If you're unfamiliar with CubeEdge, CubeEdge is a cloud edge reliable um, Edge Kubernetes, I guess it's Cube Edge. Um, so it allows um, reliable communication to unstable cloud edge networks. So think, uh, think bikes. So you know how you might have a network of devices, like maybe a, a bike that you wanna keep track of, you want to run apps on it and you want to manage it. So Cube Edge is really the edge project. Um, so Kubernetes at the, at the very edge, we're talking about devices that might have high latency. Maybe they go offline for an hour and when they regain power or get back into a place where they have internet access again, you get to talk to them. You might not have high bandwidth. This is CubeEdge. It gives edge device management, managing edge devices through a Kubernetes API and CRDs. It gives a very lightweight edge 
agent, um, which is called Edge Core. And this can run on even the most resource constrained things. I'm, I'm pretty sure I have run it on a Raspberry Pi, no problem. Um, and it, it allows edge nodes to run autonomously. Um, like I said, uh, this is so things can run even when it's not connected. Anyways, CubeEdge, really cool. You should go look up CubeEdge. Maybe I'll get to a video of it in the future. All right, so the big cloud players didn't really have a whole lot and that was okay because honestly, um, None of it was really that interesting, and so I didn't worry about picking up random uninteresting details about how they expanded Kafka service in X region. If you're really interested in that, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball. Um, I did find some other things to be very interesting to talk about, like how NVIDIA has still not sent me a GPU, nor have I been able to get my hands on a GPU because they bungled supply so badly. You'd think after, I don't know, 40 years of providing GPUs, they'd be able to actually at least closely judge the demand of a GPU. Um, but they were so inadequately at it that it was not even open for five minutes. Trust me, because I told you guys I wanted to do a review of how good it was for machine learning and whether it was worth the upgrade. Well, I sat there waiting for it to, I was clicking refresh. I just sat there clicking refresh and it went from notify me to out of stock. I was just clicking refresh. Now, sometimes the page was a little delayed, but it has been a disaster. Now, I have actually read some complaints that this might actually be orchestrated by NVIDIA. And if so, I'm quite literally very upset with you, NVIDIA, um, how they've actually been uh, low on demand on purpose as to actually raise the price um, uh, later on because there's not enough demand. If that's really what they're doing and they didn't keep the pr price down um, for the consumers, that, that's a pretty low blow. Um, so these are some of the things that I'd like to spend some time on um, instead of chasing down random little details. Um, all right. So another thing that I'd like to talk about is Lenovo's relationship with Microsoft. I don't know if there's bad blood, but it feels like bad blood right now. And what I mean by that, so there has been this thing since August. Um, Lenovo and Windows broke each other. And so if you have a Lenovo, it's very important to understand this. If you update to a Windows version 2004, um, it can cause blue screens of death. And um, Lenovo released a workaround by disabling some security features in the BIOS on your machine to get around the blue screen of death. Now, the big problem with this is that there are security features. You shouldn't be doing that. Now, the problem is Microsoft just finally published the support document um, for it, the August of 2020 um, patch to Windows 10 and basically reiterated Lenovo's things. But then it went on further to say they don't recommend it because it uh, would be a security vulnerability. 
uh, uh, the biometrics, which then I end up disabling a whole biometric system um, just to avoid this. But they also then go on to accuse Lenovo, the thing that they use to keep their hardware up to date. Um, so Lenovo has a tool um, called Lenovo Vantage and Vantage uh, updates and patches your um, your hardware. So when you need a firmware update, that's what it does. Microsoft went on to attack it and said that that really uh, went against Windows security best practices, having Lenovo Vantage. So really, so far, I haven't seen any cooperation from Microsoft and Lenovo to work together to come to a resolution for the customers, which sadly saddens me, sadly. Um, because Windows did, Microsoft did uh, note that, uh, yeah, that was a wor the workaround Lenovo offered. It it in the workaround Lenovo offered just involved disabling the enhanced Windows biometric security settings in BIOS setup. Um, this is in the security and virtualization settings sections if you're having this issue. So go there if you need to and disable it so you can get back to using your computer. But be, be understand that this now has made your computer less secure. And personally, I would disable the biometrics altogether on your laptop um, until Lenovo and Microsoft can get back to working together for the good of all of their consumers. Um, so let's get back to NVIDIA because I kind of got on a rant on NVIDIA. I'm highly dissatisfied with their graphics cards because I can't actually give you machine learning stats on these graphics cards just yet. That's okay because I'm still not really ready to do the whole demo. I'm still working on those pipelines to really pit the two graphics cards together, but I've heard that a lot of people have been selling their 2070s, so it might be a great time to snag them for cheap and uh, um, start using those for your machine learning. But don't be fooled. You can still do machine learning on a CPU. So if you're just getting started, don't waste your money. Use your CPU. All right. NVIDIA, the other thing NVIDIA is doing is buying ARM. Now, what this means to ARM, we have yet to see. I think that it makes a lot of sense for NVIDIA. Um, NVIDIA does a lot of data center compute. And what does ARM do data center compute? Um, not really, but it has a lot of uh, relations. And NVIDIA, one of the things NVIDIA doesn't do is uh, processors. And so I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Now, what this means and why a lot of people are upset is what does it mean for people like Apple? Really, I think Apple got the shortest end of this stick. Um, honestly, Apple should have been the one making a bid to buy it um, because Apple and other companies license from ARM. So Apple licenses the ARM technology to build their own processors. And Apple just recently said that they're going to go to ARM on their desktops. But are they going to be able to continue? We don't we don't know the details of this and uh, what really NVIDIA is looking to do with this technology. So really, I think people need to wait and see 
a little bit as it keeps going because everything is pretty much speculative at this point. It will be years before it really makes much of a difference. But if you are hyper worried, there is the RISC-V processor architecture. Now, I have asked Sci-Fi to give me a processor for free because I'm adorable and they've said no um, and I can't spend a grand on their dev board um, because yeah that's what it is but sci-fi has announced a new processor architecture for the RISC-V or RISC-V um, processor architecture. This new processor is supposed to be able to power desktop PCs. So one of the things is the Sci-Fi has been doing um, the big server ones and they've been super expensive. Like I said, their dev board, dev board was a, a grand um, that just had their one processor. So I'm really hoping that uh, Sci-Fi brings an affordable dev board with the RISC-V or RISC-V processor ar architecture, uh, because uh, I would be one of the first people to try to support this at SUSE at a very high level for a, a couple of things um, and get some packages building for it. Um, I think it's very cool. It's an open source processor architecture. That doesn't mean the processors are, the architecture of the processor is open source. And that's really cool. I do a lot of open source. Um, and so getting my hands on one of these is one of my top priorities for the next few years, probably as uh, processors are being made for it. But if this is your thing and if you're really worried about ARM, there is an alternative. Unfortunately, there's just not a bunch of companies making chips for it. Um, Microsoft pulled up their underwater data center. Um, when are we going to see the light Stop calling it the cloud and start calling it the ocean. I mean, come on, clouds come and go. The ocean is always there. It's much more stable. The ocean is like the new iteration of the cloud. Uh, it's catchy, it's catchy. There's gonna be a company that's gonna rip me off and take it. They're gonna give the digital ocean. Dang it, digital ocean already took it. I didn't even, that's not even in my notes. It wasn't it. Brilliant. I knew I loved DigitalOcean. They're ahead of their times. All right. Whoever named DigitalOcean, excellent job. I love them more now. Um, all right. Google Fiber. Um, I think it's really cool. Um, minus their blatant failures in several places. I know this one city um, named Louisville where they were like, hey, we're going to come. We're going to dig in your roads, but it's OK. We're going to do it well. And they didn't even Google the fact that Louisville freezes in the winter, like hardcore freezes, which means they only dug it like four inches in the dirt, uh, four inches in the road and thought that that would keep it in the ground. Um, so Google really needs to learn to Google. Um, it's helpful sometimes. And uh, they completely failed in Louisville and actually had to pull out and then owed the city a lot of money to fix their roads where all of their data cables came up. But where you still have Google Fiber, they have increased their rates to two gigabytes, downloading two gigabits, two gigabits, not bytes, because <laughs> two gigabytes would be fantastic, but it's not. They've increased it to two gigabits um, of download. Um, and, but that being said, you still only get one gigabits 
upload. So it's only the download that they're doubling, but it's really fantastic and it's pretty cool. Now it will cost you an extra $30 a month if you want that. And if you already have a gigabit, you're probably fine. Just gonna say. All right, um, a company I really like that really pushes the open source software and hardware is Pine64. Um, I follow them and this, I want to first make a plea to Pine64 to release the Hard Rock 64 like you promised. Um, some of us really want it. You also have an AI module that some of us really want. And if you have those modules, I'm willing to pay and give you money for they were supposed to be here in May or June and, and we're in September, well into September. So please release those. But another thing that happened that I thought that they just handled really well, they had a security breach and um, after they fixed it and took care of it, which they fixed in a very timely manner from the time that they knew they had a breach to their fix was very quick. They published why and what went wrong as well as what happened and the extent of the breach. Um, uh, if you guys want to, they have the Pine64 blog, you're gonna check it out. Really wasn't a big deal because they didn't release any customer data, so that was fantastic. So it, it really wasn't a, a bad breach at by any means, and their openness and forthcoming with it was spectacular and is what an honorable company would do. So check that out. I think that it's fantastic. Pine, just please get us those new boards because that's what we really love from you. And I really want those. And that's going to be it for this week's news. I hope that you found this slightly new format fun and enjoyable. I hope that it got you the news that you were interested as well as some of my takes on that news. If you disagree with my takes on the, the current news, go ahead and leave me a comment down below with why you disagree. And if you think that there was something that was more important, I'm gonna need you to leave a comment with that, with a link, um, so that we can see what you think is most important with last week's news. All right, my name is Merrick Counts. If you did not like this video, I'm gonna need you to click that subscribe button, stick around, and uh, see if these videos get any better for science. I hope all of you have a fantastic next week.